Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I like to put together where we talk about all things investing, where I share with you some of my takes and observations and other people's observations about what's going on in the market, as well as share with you some of my thought processes that I use to help me make my own investment decisions uh, in real time to a certain extent. The goal here is hopefully for you to take some nuggets of ideas, concepts, and perspectives and be able to bring them back into your own personal circumstance and hopefully will help you make better, more successful investment decisions. My name is Amin Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is I try to help people who want to become more financially independent. Problem is when people want to start to aspire to become more financially independent, and often that involves some element of investing, People tend to get frustrated, intimidated, confused by the whole, the whole concept of investing. They either don't know where to start, if they're just new to investing, or if they've been investing for a long time, they just are frustrated because they're just not making the type of progress uh, on their portfolios. So what I do as an investment coach is, is, I, is I teach people, I, I engage with them on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and achieve it with confidence. So today I'm just going to continue on. This is actually part three of my little mini-series where I am sharing with you uh, the various investment decisions that I made uh, specifically during the time in February uh, when the markets were kind of hemorrhaging and crapping out and everything. Um, I thought it was really important to kind of share with you because it was such a kind of stressful point of how, how you can go about like how do you deal with those kind of situations in terms of making decisions? And what I've done is in the first part, I kind of share with you the decisions that I made involving buying and selling shares that I already owned. And in the last episode, I, t- I walked you through the thought process that led me to make the decision to buy shares in Walmart. Today, I'm going to walk you through in part three. I'm going to walk you through the, my thought process uh, that led me to buy shares in Baidu, ticker symbol B-I-D-U. Um, one of the key things, uh, as I, I've, I've kind of I stress, and I'm, I'm kind of a, re- uh, a broken record on this, is just the importance of having uh, having a framework uh, in terms of making decisions. Uh, and because investing, the reality about investing, when you're trying to figure out what stocks or ETFs to buy, it's a very iterative process. You're kind of going through the same actions, same tasks, same thought processes over and over for every company that you're looking at. And if you have a framework in terms of doing that, in terms of how you go about doing it, you're going to make those decisions a lot faster. Um, They're going to be more thoughtful, more thought out, well thought out decisions. And when you put those two elements together, it usually leads to a positive outcome. So today I'm going to walk you through my decision to buy Baidu. And as I always do for every stock that I invest, there's always a set of core questions. I call them the eight questions. And every time I'm analyzing a stock, I ask myself these eight questions. And by the, by the time I answer all these eight questions, I, have, I usually should have a pretty good idea whether I want to buy the stock or if I'm just going to avoid it or if I'm just going to maybe park it. Uh, on my wish list because uh, maybe I think it's a really great company but I just don't want to buy it at the current price and maybe I'll just wait for it to come back down a little bit and then jump in so having this framework to me has really been helpful and I've, I feel I really feel important it's for me to also share it with you to just show you because as someone uh, I teach people how to invest but 
to me, it's one thing to teach people how to do it. It's another thing to practice it. It's another thing to practice what you teach. So I'm very much, the stuff that I do here is very much what I teach, uh, what I teach in my, in my various investing courses that I, that I offer. So today I'm looking at Baidu. And so the first question I always ask myself when I'm looking at a company is, what do they do? What, is, what makes them unique? What are the products and services that they sell? What's their value proposition? What makes them unique and distinguishes them from other similar companies that might be doing a similar type thing? What are they all about? So in the case of Baidu, Baidu is essentially a search engine company. It's very much modeled after Google. Um, the key differentiation is, is it's, it, it operates solely within China, within mainland China. And uh, essentially the, what, the easy way to describe Google, uh, to describe Baidu is they're essentially the Chinese version of Google in terms of uh, search engine, they just, you know, it's, it's the de facto go-to um, search engine in China for all kinds of uh, information about China, anything you do. Anything Google can do, it's pretty much almost the same thing. I'm being very simplistic. I'm sure there's a lot more layers and nuances here, but I'm just trying to keep the, keep the main bones of, of, of what they do um, at a high level. So essentially what they do, the two co uh, their two core businesses are search engine, so, you know, same thing as Google, charge people for advertising. They're sort of an advertising platform, a data accumulation platform. The other thing that they also do is they do a lot of streaming, a lot of uh, movies, TVs, um, video. And essentially, Google, I mean, Google, <laughs> Baidu, I'm going to get them confused as, I, as I'm talking about this. <coughs> Baidu is essentially also has, it's kind of, I would consider it to almost be the Netflix of, of Chinese video. Um, and it's interesting because um, there is a lot of talk um, about their, their, um, their streaming service, which is called Ishii, and I don't know if I said that right. It's I-Q-I-Y-I, -I, and I think it's Ishii, um, or Ishii. Somebody can correct me on this. Um, they're actually looking to do an IPO of their streaming service uh, in the very near future, and it's probably going to be one of the more vocal, uh, visible, high-profile kind of IPOs we might see out there in the in the internet space uh, right now. So, core business, search, streaming, but there's more to Baidu than that. The company has been also making a really aggressive pivot towards um, artificial intelligence, specifically developing software to enable the whole self-driving car technology. And they've developed this platform, they call it Apollo, and it's just a, a, a suite of tools um, where the goal is really to develop the software, the, the brains really, for a car to drive without a person driving around it. It's very much in the similar way that what Tesla and uh, Alphabet and Apple and all these companies out there trying to come up with the you know self-driving cars, they're very much into this thing too. And so you hear a lot if you hear about Apollo, that what you're hearing about is Baidu. And so they have a whole platform, and are, they're trying to develop a, a whole platform <coughs> around uh, to enable uh, self-driving cars. That's one aspect. The other aspect they're also involved in is in the voice recognition technology, very much similar to what you know the whole Alexa. Google Home voice recognition kind of uh, technology. They've developed a platform they call a Doer OS, which is, again, almost very much similar to what the whole Alexa, uh, Amazon um, Alexa platform is, what 
uh, Siri is and what the Google Home um, platform is. They're really going hard in these type technologies. And I think what's driving them is also there's a government kind of um, incentive for them to do it. The Chinese government has put out on their five-year plan, 10-year plan, they want China to be, if not the dominant, if not the dominant, the leader amongst the leaders out there in artificial intelligence technology. And they are set a timeline by 2030. They want China to be really at the forefront of this technology. So there's a lot of government and financial incentive uh, for companies in China to get really going hardcore into the AI technology. And so Baidu has, has, has made a, a, a very significant um, investment and, and is pivoting a lot of uh, pivoting the company towards kind of transforming the company away from being that traditional search engine uh, streaming provider, which is very lucrative, as we'll talk about. But they're really trying to pivot more and trying to transform the company into being really an AI kind of dominant uh, focused business. So that's what they do. So question two then goes, okay, who do they compete with? Now, Baidu, as I said, is very much, they only operate on the Chinese mainland, so their main competitors are really domestic. And in terms of search, they're pretty much considered to be the dominant search engine in China, but there are competitors. And other competitors that are notable are Tencent and Alibaba. Now, what's interesting, though, is when Baidu, you know, in Baidu's ascension to being really the dominant player in search in China, their platform was really driven on a desktop platform, it really didn't. They didn't really have much of a mobile presence, but when Tencent and Alibaba kind of entered the frame, they were, you know, they're pretty much all into the mobile side of it, and they took a lot of market share away from um, from Baidu, and it actually put Baidu in a bit of a buy. Baidu in, in kind of instead of being a big leader, they were actually become a follower, and their stock price kind of reflected that. And there was a lot of criticism about the company. Um, that the leadership didn't really take the whole mobile uh, technology side of it, um, app side of it, really seriously, and much in the same way that kind of like Microsoft was in you know in the early in the in the late eighties uh, nineties, kind of ignored the internet concept and and really had to. It's taken them years to recover from it, and so Baidu almost kind of landed in the same path. Part of it maybe because of complacency, part of it because you know again the government's backing them, and you know. They had a good relationship with the government, and so they just didn't really have any incentive to doing it. Turns out they, they all of a sudden felt behind the eight ball. So the competitive landscape, even though it kind of tilts in favor of Baidu, there are some players out there, and they are doing some, some damage, and, and they recognize that. And I think that's part of the reason why they're kind of piv wanting to pivot away from that traditional search side of it and get more into the more higher value potential um, that AI could uh, potentially offer. So those are competition. Now, who are the customers? Who who uses Baidu and, and why? As I said, the main uses for Baidu, really from the consumer perspective, are the search side of it and also the streaming, the entertainment side platform. Um, and they pretty much own that side of it. They own that market. And again, a big reason why is, again, in China, as you know, um, Facebook, Google, um, Twitter, they're not there. They're not in China. The government has essentially blocked them from, from setting up shop in China. And essentially, so they're, the companies like Baidu and Tencent, they're, they're playing to a captive audience. And there's really, um, 
you know, the market, they, you know, they basically have a very captive market. They can put out whatever products and service because they are literally the only, amongst the only game in town. And, uh, and, and so they kind of own the market. They, it's in a way like almost a monopoly. They get your pricing power and, uh, and, and they can control a lot of things. So, <clears throat> but that's all dependent upon the government because right now they have really great relationships with the government. So they're allowing Baidu to be uh, kind of operate kind of almost in a monopolistic kind of sense. As an investor, that's kind of in a way as much as that might be great for consumers, but from an investment perspective, it actually might be kind of interesting because ultimately you'd like to have companies that have a bit of pricing power and a bit of influence and control over the marketplace. Um, and so Baidu is kind of in that zone right now where they can, uh, where they can do that. So they have a very captive market. Um, and the fact of the matter is, as long as the government keeps companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter uh, and Instagram out of there, um, they have every incentive to basically appeal to a very static marketplace who will continuously come to buy their products, to use their search engines, to continuously give them the data they need to make their uh, advertising uh, much more palatable and appealing to the local domestic um, brands that are in China. Um, so they have a very sticky and loyal customer base uh, from that perspective. Now, question this, question five out of my eight questions that I usually ask for every company is, do they make money? Is this company making tangible wealth? So from what we've been able to see from their financial statements, um, one of the go-to metrics that I use to measure financial performance is economic profit, which is essentially taking the company's return on invested capital and subtracting their cost of capital. And if, they, if it's a positive value, that means they're generating positive economic profit, which means they're creating tangible wealth for their shareholders. And ultimately, companies that can create tangible wealth for their shareholders are going to be worth more over the long term. So when I looked at Baidu's return on invested capital uh, over the past three years, it comes in between 16 and 20%, which is really, really good. It's a really solid number to have. And when you compare it to the company's cost of capital, which is about 10 and a half, 11%, plus or minus, you know, a percent here or there, roughly. When you factor that in, the company is clearly creating positive economic profit. And that's what I want to see. And as an investor, that's definitely what I want, what I want to see, because if they're not, then chances are the, style, the value of that company is not going to be worth as much in the future, and ultimately I don't want to invest in it. So the fact that it's generating positive economic profit is a good positive sign, um, and it makes me want to read on <laughs> and learn more about the business and you know, ask some more questions about the business. Um, question six is, I always ask, is what do they own and who do they owe money to? Essentially here, I want to get a better handle of the financial position of the company. Is the company's financial position strong enough that they're going to be in business for a couple of years or are they going to be in business for a long, long time? And the three ways I kind of, you kind of try to figure that out is by looking at the company's liquidity, the amount of cash flow that's going through the business, their debt levels, and then also the quality of the company's assets. So when I look at it from a liquidity perspective, I always like to look at the company's short-term assets and compare them to their long-term assets and look at the ratio and it's called a current ratio. If I looked at Baidu's current ratio right now, it's at 2.5, which means the company has 2.5 times as much current assets as current liabilities. So they have more than enough liquidity 
is flowing through the business, more than enough capital in the business so that they can meet their day-to-day -day operational requirements. So from that perspective, that's great because that means the company is not going to just all of a sudden go out of business tomorrow because they ran out of money. They have, from a liquidity perspective, there's enough cash flowing through the organization to keep the company going for a long period of time. Second thing I always want to look at is the debt level. The company has right now, when I compare the company's total debt versus the total equity, it comes in at about 0.33, which is pretty decent. It's a pretty manageable amount of uh, debt to have. And considering the amount of cash flow the company has, um, it's more than enough to, to meet any uh, long-term obligations and to be able to withstand and, and pay off slowly its obligations. So debt, it's not going to hinder the ability of the company's uh, assets to be redirected into paying off the debt. They can reinvest that extra cash or that cash that they're coming in into, into running their business, into AI technology. Um, I also looked... I also like to look at the quality of the company's assets. How much of the percentage of their total assets is in um, intangible assets versus tangible assets? Like when intangible assets, I'm talking about goodwill, intangible assets, uh, you know, uh, things that are not you know physical in the sense. Right now, the company has 25% of their assets is in intangible assets, so it's a little bit too high. Um, usually I like to prefer looking at companies that have maybe 20% or less is probably I more ideal for me, but it's slightly above it. Um, but the quality of the assets overall appear to be quite strong and quite healthy from that side of it. So that leads to question seven. This is where we talk about risk. Essentially, I ask, I always ask, how risky is the business? Like, what is it out there? Is there anything out there that could potentially... Negative, negatively impact the business, uh, severely negatively impact the business. Are there competitors out there? Are there technology out there that could threaten the, the value proposition of what Baidu is offering? Um, I think one of the big risks with the company is, is complacency. I think we saw it with the fact that they kind of dropped the ball on, on the mobile technology. They kind of fell behind on it. So it makes you kind of question whether management's uh, incentive or competency or the complacency level may be a little bit too high. They've obviously played catch up and they've reacted to it, but it's a risk. Now, you know, we're dealing with the AI stuff. Future technologies come into play. Are they going to be at the forefront or are they just going to kind of be reacting to what's happening? And so the fact that the company is making a conscious effort to get into the AI space shows that maybe the management group now is being a little bit pro proactive and it's maybe learning from the lessons of the past and trying not to just kind of rest on their laurels and actually trying to be proactive in that sense. So, But it is a risk out there that complacency could take the company down a little bit, a few notches. And the fact of the matter is you have a government right now that's very supportive, that's kind of created an environment for them to kind of be, for Baidu to be kind of the big player in, in China. That's there too. And so right now the relationship with the government is good, but who knows if they have a bad, something bad happens and the government doesn't like it, they can shut them down and tomorrow. So it is a risk, and it's it's a risk of doing of you know when you're looking at Chinese companies because of the centralized control, um, things can change really really fast. Things may be good one day, but it could be really really bad the next day. So you have to play that into, to when you're evaluating the stock at the same time too. Um, then there are the risks associated with getting into the AI space. Maybe they don't you know maybe whatever they come up with maybe just may, may not be good enough. Um, 
One of the challenges I know with the AI space is that finding people, you know, competent, you know, skilled people to kind of help develop the technology. That's a challenge. And that's something I hear more and more companies are running into, just finding the right people who can come in and really help them build out their, their platform and their, their ecosystem uh, out there. So really, uh, Baidu's future success will be driven by their ability to have a really strong talent pool. Again, the fact, again, that they're the, one of the dominant you know, tech companies in China should give them that ability to pick the best and the brightest. But again, we don't know. It's a risk. Maybe a lot of people want, may want to work at Tencent or some more startup type thing. There's a more entrepreneurial bent now in China. Maybe they don't want to work for any of these type companies anymore. Who knows? But they're risks and they're kind of things we need to keep in mind as we're looking at these, as the, at these businesses. So at the end of the day, when we, so far, you know, we've looked at this company. It's kind of the, one of the big players in China, uh, in the China market. It's got a captive market. It's generating tangible wealth. It's got a pretty clean, pretty solid financial uh, balance sheet. There are risks, but the company might be mature enough now to have maybe learned from some of those mistakes in the past, and maybe it'll help them manage future challenges in the rule. So there's a lot of good things to be said right now for the company, but at the end of the day, we're investors, and ultimately, when I'm making an investment decision, I want to make sure that I'm buying a stock at a good price, at a reasonable price. I want a good deal. I want to buy low, right? That's one of the tenets of investing, buy low and sell high. So when I looked at the valuation on Baidu, from what I could see and what I could calculate, valuations seemed to come in between $200 and $245 a share. And when I first started looking at Baidu and really learning a little bit more about how they're pivoting toward the AI side of it, the stock was trading at about 250 This was in January. And then, you know, as I said, in February came and the markets crapped out and the stock went as low as $214. It was kind of when the stock got into the 220s that I really started to consciously think, okay, you know what, I may seriously get into it. Um, so what did I do? Um, at the end of the day, I decided to buy the stock. I, obviously, I made a decision. I bought the stock. And um, I think my decision to buy shares in Baidu was not driven more so about what they are in terms of their current platform of being search and you know dominant in search and in the streaming side of it. I think what's more intriguing is I think if you're going to look at a company like Baidu, you have to look at it of what it could potentially be. And right now, it's kind of lining itself up and going really hard to be a really big player, not just in China for, for, for AI technology, but globally. They're, trying, they're starting to go beyond their domestic market and starting to look and do see themselves as being a major competitor for in the AI space with a lot of other global brands out there. And when I look at the fact that the Chinese government has set out hardcore mandates for the, for, to be kind of the players in AI technology over the next 10, 12 years, when they put their mind onto something, they're going to go hard on it. Now, whether they actually achieve it or succeed it, we don't know. But if history has shown, when the Chinese government outlines that they want to take, well, they want to address a certain issue or address a certain social requirement or certain economic requirement, they pretty much go all in on it. And so, when I look at that combination of the company having a lot of solid government backing, plus the fact that they're really hardcore pivoting into the space. I think it's a I think it's a decent 
I think it's a decent bet on the future that they could be a really big player in the AI space. And I don't think you hear enough of it about here in North America. You hear more about Google and Apple and you know that side of it. We don't hear a lot about a lot of other players around the world, and I'm just using China, but there's other companies out in the world um, that are looking to get into this space either. And I haven't even talked about the auto companies on top of it. They're going to go hardcore into this side of it too. So when I looked at that, I found that side of it to be really the most intriguing part of it. And the fact of the matter is the company is generating so much economic profit that they can actually fund that development or fund that pivot um, internally. They really don't have to be dependent upon external financing to really build this platform out, build these platforms out. So I took all these factors in. I looked at the fact that they are a big player. They're generating strong economic profit. They're creating tangible wealth for their shareholders. Strong financial company. The stock now, you know, was down from the 250s down to the 214, 200 level. Um, so I, I thought maybe there's some upside now on it. And so when I factored all these elements together, it made me say, you know what, I think I'm okay to take a small position in Baidu. And that's what I did. I bought it at 227, and then I bought it again when it went down to 214. During that period when the markets were really, really on edge, um, the stock was just going down and down and down, but fundamentally nothing had really changed in the business or in the outlook of the business. So I just used it as a buying opportunity and I thought it would be a really good entry point. And so I bought in a couple of shares, uh, bought some shares to start off with. And the, the fact that the strategy is if it goes down even further, I'm more than happy to buy some more shares to lower my cost base down. But sure enough, after I bought it at 227 and 214, um, the stock popped up back again, and now I think it's, as I'm talking to you right now, it was at 259 at one point. So already I'm kind of up on the position, almost you know, almost 10% on the position. So, uh, so far so good. But again, as I said, um, this is kind of a long-term um, play for me, and it's kind of building on that theme of this artificial intelligence theme, which I think is going to become more and more prevalent, both from a technological and from a social perspective. Um, so to me, getting into Baidu was just, was just a good way maybe of getting exposure to that, to that space. And so that's what I did. So at the end of the day, I bought shares in Baidu. So that's, that's my story of how I got to ended up buying shares in Baidu. If you have any questions about this, feel free to give me a shout. Um, you can find me through my website, sageinvestors.ca. Uh, you can send me an email uh, if you have a question about this, if you have any question about my other podcasts, or a question about my coaching services or my online courses or my in-person investing courses that I teach, give me a shout out. I'm more than happy to fill, fill in the blanks for you. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is at Sage Investors. I'm on there all the time tweeting about uh, things that I'm seeing in the market, sharing um, other people's ideas and perspectives on the market. It's a great way, so feel free to follow me there. You can follow me on Instagram. I do post some things now and then on Instagram. My handle is... Uh, Sage Investors Nation. And finally, you can also find me on Facebook. My handle uh, there is just do a search on Facebook. And I post all kind of uh, links to my uh, latest and greatest uh, podcasts, videos, mind map videos, um, and just content that I'm seeing and I'm reading out there um, that, I, that I'm using to help me make, make, make my own investment decisions at the same time. Uh, that's all I got for you. Um, that's part three. So this is part three. I got one more episode um, where I'm going to talk to you about my decision to buy some shares in Priceline.com, 
which is now actually called Booking Duck, Booking Holdings, Booking Holdings. And uh, so that was my last decision that I made while the market was in February, while the market was kind of uh, upset. And uh, I'll share with you my thought process that led me to buy those shares of uh, Booking uh, Holdings. So there you go. Thank you very much for listening in. As I said, you can follow all my podcasts uh, are all on iTunes. Um, and also, if you're not in the Apple world, if you're in the Android world, all my podcasts are also now on the Android side of it. If you go to Google Play, you can find all my podcasts there too. So I'm in that zone now too. So feel free to jump on and catch up with some of my uh, previous podcasts. Thank you very much for listening in. This has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amin Reina of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>